can you start by just laying out exactly your role at Unity? I was um, heading Apex Strategy. Unity was running strategy, development strategies as kind of um, running as a t- you know task force group. So I've engaged a couple of um, you know significant transformation in terms of you know business model change and going out of gaming. So from that perspective, I have you know much to share. So you was working mainly with the or clearly with the developers, but also branching out into new sectors and industries. Exactly. So later, my experiences in, with, in Unity was working with developing, you know, businesses um, with automotive film and animation and, you know, architecture and engineering companies as well for VR and AR content. I want to start by diving into the engines and the, and, and the engine market. How would you compare Unity versus Unreal? If you're interested in game development, you definitely know, but I would assume that a lot of people, a lot of audiences do not know. Epic Games, they develop games by themselves. They are the user of their own engine. And Unity, uh, on the contrast, had opportunities, probably thoughts to develop their own games, but they decided not to for over a decade. So what I'm trying to say is Epic has their own view of developing game engine, probably for the sake of their own development. Whereas Unity is developing businesses and developing, you know, technologies, mainly focus on, you know, longer tail of, you know, game development and their studios. Why did Unity decide not to move into publishing? Well, I think it's just a strategic decision where we should focus, right? So if you really focus on developing your own game, there will be a certain types of, or segment or genre of games that you want to develop, right? But I think Unity want to be more uh, universal in terms of, you know, Unity's mission was basically democratize game development. That means anybody who is interested in developing their own games to represent themselves, their taste, they can develop their own. So from that perspective, it needs to be the hurdle to adopt Unity. Learning Unity should be lowered, right? From that perspective, Unity is, you know, approaching as, you know, kind of game engine development platform now rather than the perspective they they want to build their own games how would you split the market share of unity versus unreal on the different platforms well it's a no you know hard number that i can share but from my perspective i would say in mobile games globally i assume the unity share would be around 50 percent and probably epic games will be less than 20 percent but it really depends so if you look at the um you know, game share for top 20 globally, the epics ratio will be, will increase quite significantly. Whereas if you look at top 1,000 games, I think epics share can go down to maybe less than 5% because usually um, epic has, you know, Unreal has been used mainly by bigger studios, right? And that's because it's more complex or is used for more complex games and graphics and technology? Exactly. So one interesting example is how the game market evolved in the South Korean market. Actually, it's quite interesting because, um, you know, South Korean's game market has you know, grown rapidly for the past uh, almost 20 years, driven by PC games. They are giant PC game studios in Korea. Now, you know, 10 years ago, they shifted to mobile with the legacy of Epic Games or Unreal Engineering Team. And then it actually expanded in the China market. And then they, they have some, you know, epic um, kind of uh, well, unreal um, legacy as well. So going back, you know, to in the early 2000, 
there was no Unity and there was no other uh, competitive third-party engine. And a lot of Koreans' uh, major game studios didn't have uh, competitive, competitive uh, in-house engines as well. And they adopted Apex Unreal Engine. And then the legacy uh, in a continued 10 years. And then the ju- from junior to senior engineers or developers, they are very acquainted with Unreal. That's where legacy started. And then it still continues in, in South Korea and in the China and the relevant you know, neighboring countries as well. How would you compare the technology between the two engines? I think one of the greatest uh, assets that uh, Unreal uh, has is its um, AAA quality overall and, you know, branding thereafter built with. So Unity has, well, if you think about how developers perceived Unity versus Unreal, there was a very clear um, separation or distinction between the images or branding they have. So like it was like something like um, Unreal is for like triple A quality games and Unity was for more for casual games, right? But then uh, Unity really tried uh, hard to you know catch up and catch up the um, you know performance and you know all the technologies and filling the um, branding gap that we can actually produce triple A games as well. I think the gap is now pretty much uh, minimal, although there could be some you know gaps. But um, I think it's not really significant as of now. But I think what's more interesting is the gap that, that needs to be um, kind of kept, you know, built in, not in the technology or performance-wise, more for you know, branding, marketing-wise, or perception-wise. And that's just because Unreal has a perception that's more complex or better quality and highly... Exactly. And it is also interesting if you look at what's going, you know, what's going on outside gaming. So, you know, a lot of AR, VR contents needs to be created by real-time renderer. And um, I think they have a different perception if you compare to the perception that, you know, gaming developers have. And so what's the perception of the AR and and VR developers on the two ends? Okay, so let me put it this way. If you look at the the market share of um, game engine in gaming industry, let's say Unity's market share will be approximately 50%. Uh, whereas if you look at AR, VR contents, um, Unity's market share goes up to 80, up to even 90%. So that means the legacy of brand that, that was you know, rooted deeply is not, it doesn't exist in the, you know, industrial applications outside gaming. So Unreal, so developers in gaming sector and outside gaming or industrial sectors, they have different experiences. They have different like brand images, things like that. So but the Epic's um, presence is, I think, it's much weaker in you know, outside gaming industries. Does the engine suit AR and VR much better at Unity? Or is it, again, just a marketing and perception thing that's increased their market share? So just let, uh, let me add on, let me chime in a bit more. Um, so I think relatively in terms of content creation, like real-time rendered back uh, content creation, I think... Definitely gaming surpasses, you know, all other contents in other industries, right? So for developers who wants to create contents like real-time contents in other spaces, I assume most of them lack experiences or expertise in terms of creating it. So having said that, as you mentioned, Epic has images of, you know, learning it difficult and, you know, 
you know, hard to code and things like that. That actually applies pretty much the same for the rest of the uh, developers in outside of gaming industries. So Unity has a, in that sense, Unity has a very good position to approach more comfortably and, you know, make them easier to, you know, adopt Unity and try it out. I think probably that's why the um, Unity's share in uh, ARVR content is so high. Can you just share some context into how the engine business has evolved? And so, and what I mean by that is how Unity have looked at the engine as part of their total business with the also the ad network and you know not going into publishing. What, how are they looking at really monetizing this engine over the long run? To me, I think um, two questions kind of mingled. Uh, mixed up. Let me separate uh, from my perspective. So one question will be, what is the kind of directions or trends that you know we are seeing in the in the um, game market in general, right? And secondly, second question will be, um, you know, Unity has evolved its business model and how did it successfully monetize, right? Okay, going back to the first question, let's say maybe three decades ago, I think there is not significant third-party powerful game um, engine companies. Rather, they all had in-house engines, which were, some were good, some were bad. But then, you know, as the um, market or gaming gaming industry um, develops, there's, you know, there are some, you know, merges and, you know, um, the fittest stays, survives, things like that. And then the interesting thing is Epic kind of tried out a model that they're developing their own games, but they think their engine in-house engine is so great, it's sellable as a product or service. They started to sell. Unity, on, on, on the other hand, was, I, I believe they didn't have to, you know, tackle this gaming engine market from the beginning. In the beginning, they were more, they concentrated more on, you know, how this rendering piece only could, you know, work more, you know, efficiently in, 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 the, in the gaming application. And then it developed into a general gaming engine model. And then... Right now, in the past, if you look at the past three to five years trend, I think it's quite interesting that a lot of traditionally you know, major gaming studios, they, they you know, ceased to stop or they, they, they stopped developing or using their own in-house engine. Um, rather, they started to adopt third-party engines such as Unreal or even you know, Unity for the major titles. I think um, there are a couple of uh, reasons for this because um, one would be... Um, as the market grows so significantly and um, the devices they need to you know, touch, if you think about the different types of or manufacturers of handsets every year, it's incredibly increases. You know, each in-house engine, they kind of hit a point where you know, kind of inflection point that they can't really keep investing to you know, embrace all of these, you know, changes by themselves, right? So at, at a certain point, economically, they sense that it's, you know, better to adopt third-party engine and where they also hit a point where third-party engine, including Unity, it improves its quality, performance, and also easy to integrate into their own system or team or engineering capabilities. So all these pieces kind of met in a harmonious um, way. And then I think uh, from the past two, three years, we started to see a lot of major titles are uh, made with um, third-party engine. That's kind of general trend that I see. And do they look at the engine as a mission critical part of the technology stack? You mean the in-house engine perspective? The developers you know, and the publishers that have shifted from in-house to, to Unreal or to Unity, is this kind of like the software 
CRM of, of enterprise businesses for, for game developers? Is it, that, is it critical? Is it the, the critical piece that the, the, the retention is very high, the stickiness is very high for developers? It is actually related to your question number two, monetization piece. So let me put it this way. So unlike Unreal, I won't say the, the, you know, the exact number, probably the exact number that I know is wrong, but so basic model or the biggest revenue driver for Unreal Engine is basically you know, revenue share, taking some percentage, certain percentage um, out of um, you know, their customer success, right? Well, that could be really big. Like five percent, right? Something like this, right? But as far as I know, it, the the rate goes smaller depending on the sizes of the studios. But Unity's model, um, okay. So if my memory is correct, before 2015, um, Unity's business model is basically perpetual license sales. So it was more offline um, sales driven, pretty much one time kind of sales. You have to engage uh, with them about a year and a half or two years later when we have new version comes out. And then we didn't have multiple uh, variations, kind of add-on sales, and we didn't have a lot of customer engagement. Uh, we didn't know what they want. And so back then, uh, subscription model or SaaS was not you know, generally spread out. But then Unity, I think, took initiative in gaming engine market that we you know, decided to transform to SaaS company. I think it was 2015 or late 2015 that we uh, announced that we are our SaaS company. So I think Unity had a great job in terms of designing, you know, customer lifetime uh, journey for the first time. So from, if you are well aware of Unity's model, um, it will be uh, easy to understand, but let me just explain. So from acquisition to onboarding, so onboarding, uh, we've developed multiple contents and multiple engagement channels like SNS and stuff so that, you know, developers are really linked with Unity. And then not just onboarding, we have like higher uh, level of, um, you know, learning materials. We developed a certificate, you know, uh, with different courses like, you know, AI courses or graphic designer courses, things like that. And then eventually we have developed to... Um, you know, with, well, with subscription model, initially we had three different product line. One, one was personal, which was free, plus, which was about like, you know, less than you know, $20 per month. And then we had professional. So professional was actually uh, targeting mid to big, large sized gaming studios. Plus was more targeting uh, money making amateurs and to smaller, small gaming studios. Personal, the free version was targeting hobbyist student. With all the learning courses and with the success or development, we um, intended each user to you know, adopt or try out different tiers of product or lines of uh, product. So, and then that's kind of a journey and then it didn't really end there. Throughout this journey, we had Unity's asset store, which you can actually sell you know, any images or any asset, any digital asset, including you know, like any graphics or backgrounds or sound that you tried out or you know made by yourself or your game. This is kind of um, you know app store kind of model. You take uh, you know Unity takes thirty percent and then the creator gets seventy percent if uh, sales you know if they had you know revenue occurred. So and then eventually Unity had um, LinkedIn version of kind of job marketplace for Unity. 
So eventually, Unity wanted to set up, you know, place where, you know, any uh, any anybody who wants to build their own games, they can, you know, look out for talents that they can, they need to, you know, support each other. And with a certificate that we developed, they can actually prove themselves what kind of skill sets they have with, uh, you know, references they personally had. So all of this kind of created the whole cycle of, you know, adoption of Unity and, you know, learning Unity developing with Unity and then making money with Unity. So that was kind of full stack of uh, you know, what, what Unity can you know, go along with their own journey, right? Across the ad network, right? Exactly. And then having said that, um, so what was uh, Unity's um, business model? So going back to um, prior to 2014, 15, when we had perpetual license sales, the sales was, was okay. It was, it was not that bad, but it wasn't great. And it was hard to scale, right? But then with SaaS model, from game engine license sales, we saw some growth, but it didn't increase exponentially. What leveraged Unity's um, growth was, you know, the in-game video um, ads network. So let me just give you a, a bit of uh, context. So back in 2014, 2015, Unity had um, good quite sizable market share back then uh, in mobile gaming market as well, about 30, 40%. But then it was more or less um, more casual games where a lot of, um, you know, customers, Unity's customers didn't make, you know, good money and so was Unity. And then, but then since we had so many games we made with Unity and so many gamers playing made with Unity games, we decided to acquire uh, one of the decent, you know, in-game video ad network and then it really kind of boosted unity's growth and what's more unity was you know had a good strategy that it also acquired game analytics company pretty much within the time in similar time frame so that the game analytics provides you know better insights in terms of you know unity's customers game developers can target much better for any campaigns to for their you know gamers right the customers, customers. And then it eventually, um, just like a virtual cycle, it incentivized game developers to adopt Unity, develop you know, games with Unity. And then there were more Unities as revenue coming up. And then it would, you know, the accuracy or performance of ads plus analytics got higher and higher. Can we look at the, the lifetime value of the developers using the engine? And how did you look at that? So if you think about perpetual license sales, you have a certain amount of license price. Let's say, you know, 1500 to 2000 US dollar per seat. And then if the studio is, uh, you know, mid to large size, uh, then you probably need enterprise support where, you know, if you have any, you know, support you have to ask unity because it's hard to solve internally then that's kind of serviceable product back then and then you you could probably you know sell source code if the uh, the studio is quite you know acquainted with um, you know unity they want source code so all this combination is you know represent um kind of average average out lifetime value it was quite simple right is that per year so 1.5 to 2K per year per seat, or is that over a three-year license? Well, it's basically, it's a forever perpetual license, right? But then, of course, um, so 
But usually in, you know, in Unity, we had every 18 to 24 months, we had major updates. So these major updates can be handled with, let's say, 40 to 50% of the original price, right? So when we, when we calculate lifetime value, then for big you know, accounts, then we have historical data. So then we have kind of average updates kind of periods. And then we have separately, we have kind of average recycling or renewing kind of um, contract periods globally. And then we have kind of combinations of, you know, seats and services and source code altogether. So we can have like small, medium, large kind of ideal prototypes or model that, you know, they have a certain number with a certain cycle period. Then we can assume that, you know, if we acquire a, this size of uh, studios, in this region, then we could expect this much of, you know, lifetime value coming up, right? But then it's, it gets trickier uh, and lively when we transform to SaaS company, right? As I mentioned, onboarding, you know, everything, it's really complicated. Then you have a lot of layers, including, you know, certificate revenue and things like that, right? And then asset store revenue really kicks in. Asset store was, did exist um, prior to SaaS model, but, you know, with this, you know, frequent engagement with a SaaS model, asset store, you know, can be really sellable. So it's quite interesting to understand that if we had accurate calculation in terms of lifetime value in perpetual license model, then it could indicate pricing point for SaaS model as well. Because it's a really good indication to understand the willingness to open their wallet basically, right? So what was the retention on average for the larger accounts versus the massive long tail of developers using Unity? They're also paying for it, but not, not the free. Well, I don't have the hard numbers, but obviously the large account, major account, they, they their retention rate was really high. I would assume that, I mean, Unity fan would use, you know, Unity 100%, but you know, most major gaming studios, they probably use maybe 30% or 40% of their entire gaming project with Unity. So having said that, let's say um, a major um, gaming studio, they had 100 um, gaming developers. They all split to developing maybe five different titles, maybe 20 per, per title, 20 developers per title. Then probably they are using Unity about for three, three titles, that means 60 developers out of 100. Then these three uh, titles, they have developing period, let's say uh, you know, 12 months, right? And then usually if this ends, maybe not simultaneously, but they have another upcoming um, titles as well. So it kind of goes on one by one. But eventually if you kind of flatten that out, usually the retention rate is pretty much, I believe it's over 70%, 80% for major count. So why, why is it so high? I think if that studio was running, developing games 100% by Unity, I think the retention rate can go down, go up, and go down, and go up. But a lot of major studios, I, I think, are you know, kind of using Unreal for several titles and using Unity for several titles maybe several for with their in-house engines. So for specific share could be sustainable in the longer run. But the retention, so you're saying the retention's around 70% for like for, for paying users of Unity, but 
So 70% here, I mean, going back to my example, like um, let's say 60%, 60 developers out of 100 developers are using Unity. So 70% here means, means that let, let's say after a year, 12 months from that, this specific time, maybe 70% of that 60 people will still be using Unity. Right, and, and so, th- and they would be using that, th- they would be paying as part of the studio for Unity, and then they'll be working on new titles, but then the others just drop off and go and new- work on different engines and different titles, you mean? Exactly, but then the new title has a chance to you know, use Unity and Unreal, but I think it's pretty much the, quite, quite consistent, yeah. Right, so the studios actually just, just buy different licenses per seat and then just have a, have a kind of flexible model where they can just get developers off different engines and move them around. Exactly. How does that compare to Unreal then, which is more of a fixed kind of revenue share? I believe right now, recently, Unreal um, has kind of adopted Unity-like model. So they could, um, I mean, for the smaller studios, they don't really, you know, oblige the revenue share model, they just sell license uh, in a in a in a in an affordable way. So, I think the subscription model-wise, the business model develops in a similar way. I think what matters is large studios. Yeah, like Hobbyist, where retention rate is really high. It's really high because Hobbyist. I mean, Hobbyist can just you know adopt and play for like a week, and then they they can just leave, right? And they probably come back about six months later. But so if you calculate that way, retention rate for personal will be really, really high. But that's actually the intention of building Unity Personal. And so the large studios, how do they look at insourcing the engine potentially versus using a third party engine? Okay, please. Do I want to bring some of my the, the game engine in house, or do I am I happy to keep paying Unity because it's a, a relatively cheap if it's a fixed price, no matter what? I think there's no clear answer, right? It's kind of uh, kind of um, their own choice. But I think, as I mentioned, since the devices are all connected, the the variation is going crazy. We are trying to do the same game on my tablet and my smart TV, right? And then all of this, uh, you have to invest a lot of money just purely developing your own in-house engine. So as long as the third-party engine performance is great, I, I, don't think, I don't think there's no reason that you have to develop your own. At the same time, if you, you, you your, your game become very successful and you become one of the major accounts, I think there's a room that you can request Unity or Unreal to develop a certain feature. So, you know, that the features that you really want to kind of, you know, highlight in your games. What do you think is the biggest risk for retention on Unity? I don't think there's a down, like, like, like obvious or immediate downside of um, Unity in terms of retention perspective. Rather, I, I, think, um, I think there's a risk for the upside. Because if you think about it, you have to have, you have to think about competitors or alternatives if you think about, you know, the risks for retention rate. So retention rate, you could probably, I mean, I mean, except for Unreal, you don't really see evident competitor here in gaming engine market, right? Because of the scale, right? I mean, it costs so much money to build these engines that it's, no one's going to compete now. Because of scale and because of the price point. 
I don't think new entrants of the market may not provide affordable price point as Unreal or, or Unity. What do you think about the, I mean, the, the price point and the opportunity to increase the price for the, for the larger accounts? I mean, from my perspective, I think there's much more room to increase you know, the per seat price because compared to the value that Unity's engine bring to big account, and if you think about the size of the scale of a you know, business they are creating with you know, Unity engine, I think it's quite you know insignificant. Well, what's the average size of it? You know, in terms of the, what's the average revenue of a big studio versus the amount they pay for Unity? Well, we can run quick math, right? So, let's say I'm not talking about like billion dollar company, right? Let's say about hundred million revenue company, hundred million, right? Let's say probably they have I don't know. How many? Well, it really depends. Let's say 100 or Unity developers alone. Let's say they're paying everything combined. Probably they're paying about 3,000 USD per year per seat, including seats and you know, additional services. So then 3,000 3, per seat and 100 developers only makes you know, 300K. So if you think about it, it's, it's nothing compared to 100 million they're making. So yeah, very simple. Maybe that's why they're, you know, they, they're adopting Unity so much. What are the add-ons that can increase that price? And you mentioned, obviously, there's a fixed fee for the subscription to the engine. What really is the add-ons that can increase the revenue per user? It's like chicken or egg question. So going back to like example, uh, the, the example that we mentioned. So if if a studio generates hundred million US dollar per year, if they used Unreal, just revenue share alone, let's say five percent, that's like five million, right? So it's uncomparable. It's six. I don't know how much bigger it is, but I mean it's, it's it's way bigger, right? So about fifteen times bigger. Is Unreal that much more expensive then? Because they had the five percent rev share, but they also had like a discount if you if you distribute on EGS, and it's like it's a bit confusing in that sense. But it does seem that it, it's just far it's far more expensive no matter what. I think um, they can still get more five to ten percent more than Unity. So the the strength of Unity is actually could be you know perceived as weakness of Unity in, in terms of you know if we set per seat price so low then it's very hard to make a strong argument to increase the overall um, cost or price, right? So probably few um, areas that, you know, Unity can, you know, really increase their revenue from the values that they, they bring to customers will be uh, services, but services is tied to, pretty much tied to, you know, you know man hours. So it could, it could not be very, very scalable. Another will be um, multi-polting. So Unity has been uh, favored by game developers in early stages for Unity's uh, multi-porting feature. Multi-porting is basically if you build a game for you know Android's you know Google Play market, uh, Unity can you know port allows you port to the same game to um, Apple's App Store games market. So usually they have different you know you know coding languages and you need to kind of recode everything. But then Unity helps 
really shorten the period of time and, and reduce its effort. So if a certain you know, game is made with uh, Unity, it can actually reduce a significant time when the, you know, so multi-porting is basically free in Unity right now, but for big, big studios, if you think about how much they, they can make money if they port to another marketplace, I think for that specific feature, I think Unity can charge away, you know, significant price for that. And so does Unity really focus then on improving lifetime value by add-on services, but also the ad network as well? Exactly. So it's like Amazon's flywheel. If every component, every stages of this life, you know, lifetime cycle strengthens, the entire platform gets really, you know, stronger. So basically, um, you mentioned Unity's ad network. If they basically, although, I mean, although the, the, the lower tier of um, customers of Unity can leave very soon. Retention rate is, you know, is quite low, but still there, it is high, highly likely that they, are, they will adopt and try Unity as network. So it leaves a very long tail of as network eventually. So, so yeah. In terms of the, the economics then, so you roughly, let's say you have that, back to that example, $100 million in revenue for a studio, 100 Unity developers. Let's say they're paying 3,000 bucks each to the, a year. Does that, is, that, is that just a subscription cost for the platform and the engine? And then you, the, the ad network, is it revenue is separate from that and the, the asset store revenue is also separate? Correct, correct. I've, um, I mainly um, assumed game engine revenue and very relevant uh, services only. Because ads is another animal, right? So, yeah. Because if you have, there's no Apple to Apple because Epic then has to you know, include like Fortnite revenue and things like that. So it's very hard to compare Apple to Apple. But in terms of when you look at lifetime value, do you include any ad revenue from those studios in that, in that account? Or is that separate revenue? It's a separate revenue because the dynamics are very different, right? But then um, company-wide, if you look at it, but I think there's a really high correlationship between you know, the subscription revenue and, and the ads network, ads revenue. So yeah, it's run separately, but there are a lot of uh, you know, linkages. Briefly on, on customer acquisition costs, and how, how did you look at the cost of acquiring a developer on an on-premise or perpetual license model versus the free-to-play and, and subscription world now? So I think a very accurate and detailed um, lifetime value um, calculations or projection allows you to set a certain limit of expenses you can burn for marketing, right? Without those references, it's very hard to make solid judgment in terms of, you know, how much you could spend for these you know, campaigns and, you know, things like that. So, of course, there's a no clear answer, no simple answer, but I think... Um, if you have a certain, let's say, 3,000, going back to using, recycling the, the, the previous um, example, if you have a seed that generates 1,000, 3,000 US dollar per year, let's say we, we can assume that, you know, the average life cycle is like 2.5 years per seed, then you have how much money you can actually get, right? And then you have a certain number of uh, campaigns and events and marketing plans and R&D resources, then you can allocate it. So it's, it's quite internal um, numbers, but I think these really, you know, kind of gives you how much you can spend per quarter per, you know, annually, like 
how much acquisition costs should be paid. What was roughly the payback on a developer typically? Let's say that you acquire, let's take this developer, you know, the, the $3,000 a year developer at the big studio. How much would you typically want to pay for that? How do you look at the payback of these of acquiring developers or users? So William, how much would you, are you willing to pay if you can earn 3000 per per year from a seat and how much would you, well, it really depends, right? It really depends. I think, I think there's no answer that the, the answer is my answer is 3000 US dollar is pretty much the willingness to open the wallet. I think it's pretty much fixed. That's kind of my assumption. And then my answer for that question will be how much, how, how can I lower the cost? Right. Let's say it's, if we calculate it, it's like 700 US dollar to acquire such, such a seat, right? How much can we uh, lower the cost? So going back to the, the lifetime kind of flywheel cycle, if it's, you know, it's, it's a good, actually it's, it, it itself is good marketing tool, right? So it kind of, you know, spreads out in the market. Um, I think with that, I think um, we can, from my, it's just my, you know, guesstimation, but ballpark range, I think 700 can go down to $300 ish. So that, those kind of activities is something and you were just using, obviously, the, the Unity website has great learning material and videos and, and, and content. And, and I guess you were just using traditional channels in marketing and ad spend to drive traffic. Correct. But I think, um, as you know, like, you know, the 80-20 rule, same thing. Unity's, um, you know, major revenue comes from the you know, large studios. Maybe it's 90-10, I don't know. But. What is the risk with the bigger studios in the engine business? That's the um, the context that I mentioned that there's not a significant risk that I see for in terms of retention rate because you don't have other alternatives. They tested out Unity and Unreal for, I don't know, over five to 10 years already. So you know both engines very well. And they don't plan to develop in-house engines in general. So, And, and how have you seen the impact on the development community from the shift from box products to free to play you know it's quite simple and obvious that um free to play um games it's free but it's not free right so somebody has to pay money who pays it usually you know the as uh, engaged parties they pay and they you know they pay back so having said that i think um fundamentally i think the, the balance between you know immersion and um, distraction of game um as an intrusion of ads became really significant for the past few years, right? I think that's the major, major kind of shift that I see for free-to-play games. And then, obviously, the ads has focused to develop in a direction where, you know, it does not distract so much in terms of the context of, you know, game flow and in terms of, you know, the, uh, the content or nature of. How have you seen the CPM change on the ad network for advertisement? How have you seen that change over the last... Five years. It's also very um, interesting um, topic, but I don't think I'm the right person to share because I'm not the ads guy. So, so just back to the point on developers. So, do you think we're going to see more consolidation on the development community, or do you think there's going to be you know, there's, there's lower barriers to entry, more people can create free to play games, but less people can earn actual dollars and revenue from them because it's so difficult. I think um, overall, I, I, I'm seeing uh, a huge consolidation. As I mentioned, you know, there will be more connect, you know, connected um, approach. So less of um, 
you know, distinction of the devices, right? So it could be, I mean, even the same game, it could be free to play in on smart TV, but it could monetize in other ways um, in, you know, in your cell phone, you know? So, I mean, it will be, there's a, I, I think it will going forward be very flexible, more, you know, connected, more integrated. And if you think about um, non-gaming um, areas like, you know, automotive, um, you know, agriculture or any uh, industrial applications, let's say if, um, if those um, developers start to adopt Unity more and more, I think usually industrial application we don't see, there will be as, you know, kind of free to play is kind of given, but nobody knows, right? I mean, it could, add, it could include another types of ads network that is, you know, non-game. So I, I think the, the, the distinctions or segmentation would be blurred. Which industry or other sector outside of gaming are you most interested in or excited about? Definitely um, AEC, architecture, engineering, and construction. Well, AR can really um, give um, a lot of uh, you know, huge opportunities for our generation. Um, and I think um, one of the um, applications that was amazed in the past years was the, the growth of um, the you know AR applications in uh, construction or interior design piece, where you know you you have you you know what will be here, even if it's you know it is physically built, right? That gives a whole lot of difference, you know, uh, in terms of marketing, but also construction stage workers have much better understanding in terms of context. So if you if 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 you're a plumber. And you know where this should be built exactly with AR, right? All these things kind of, um, you know, gives context that only uh, very experienced, you know, engineers or you know, engineers or workers had previous times. But who does Unity compete with in that field? Unreal. But these other companies, like, um, I mean, other other companies that offer something like similar to this to to those end markets, or is it is it purely just these engines that are actually competing for all these other sectors? Obviously, all these uh, industrial sectors out of gaming, I think um, Unity's main you know, competitor is still Unreal. But as I mentioned, it's, so if you think about it, I think uh, one good analog will be, again, gaming. So in gaming, I think Unreal's um, you know, target customers are pretty much limited, big houses, major titles. And Unity, on the other hand, uh, target much longer tail. So from that perspective, I think outside of gaming, we have pretty much the same, you know, we can see pretty much the same um, situation. If you look at automotive, you have very few limited OEMs. They have plenty of you know, engineering capabilities. They have a lot of money. They could focus developing using Unreal rather than you know, Unity if they can guarantee better performance. Right, but if you think about construction, interior design, we are talking about very small um, companies to large companies, much longer, you know, tails. I think for you know for this segment, there's a limitation in terms of these people uh, can learn real-time rendering machines. So from that perspective, Unity is better positioned to tackle longer tail. And same thing as film and animation. Yeah. How would you compare? the Unreal Engine and Unity in those different sectors, like film, like, because they're both used at the same time as well, right? So the developers typically use them together on films or construction. I think um, Unity is way more better positioned in the industrial basis. 
Um, for automotive, I'm honestly, I'm not really sure. I think Unreal has a good position as well in automotive. But for film and animation, um, you know, architecture and, you know, and construction, I think um, Unity is better positioned. For the comment that I mentioned, it's easier to adopt but, and learn. But also, um, Unity also developed a template, industrial template, that is specifically designed to you know, kind of merge with the existing tools they're using, particular tools they're using in, in those you know, industries. For instance, you know, in architecture space, they're using, you know, Beam software, right? So Unity, we are building templates that layers in between um, Beam and Unity so that this Beam, you know, users can naturally adopt Unity without less learning, right? Things like that. Those um, kind of uh, layering, the bridging, those gaps, filling the gaps, I think uh, Unity has a great job. So that's why, yeah, very simple. You know, better technology, less learning, uh, less cost uh, wins eventually. That really uh, is, you know, what I expect to see how, you know, how Unity performs in the, in the industrial spaces. Last question, and that's just around Epic. So, you know, Epic have Fortnite, they publish, they have EGS. Do you think that those different revenue streams and, and potentially large revenue streams can then lead Epic to continue to reduce the cost on Unreal and potentially compete more specifically on price with Unity, which could change the dynamics and market share? So, I mean, a lot of um, comment that I shared was actually focused on game engine only. But we are talking about company-wide kind of competition. For that, actually, I'm quite in line with you because I think mainly two reasons. One, um, I think um, Unreal is much better well positioned in terms of growing its business, seizing you know, bigger opportunities because they're making great games and their games are very successful. It creates better branding, definitely gives more cash, and then eventually, if you have a such level of success, you have maybe better idea in terms of how to develop your game, game engines going forward. Secondly, um, I think it's more important. I have a deep respect for Epic Games because they have been the winner or they have been really, you know, kind of a top tier kind of third party game engine for several decades now. But I think they're still very eager to learn and evolve. So whenever we, Unity, you know, uh, publish something very nice, I think in terms of features or in terms of different business models, I think Epic, you know, watches it and kind of adopts on their own play. I think that's the real fundamental competitive edge that Epic has. So from that perspective, if Epic uh, maintains those two kind of stance characteristics going forward, I think it is risk to Unity. Yeah. But it's obviously much more difficult to adopt, and that could be the that could be the the benefit for Unity in in serving the long tail. Correct. But if Epic decided to to be adopted widely, I think Epic could have done it a decade ago, right? But they didn't, so they are staying there. But I think it's just a matter of uh, economic sense. I think that when the um, industrial market for ARVR gets so large that it's bigger than gaming market. I think there's a chance that Epic can, you know, play just like Unity to be adopted very easily. Mm -hmm.